All right. I woke up this morning with this, the scripture reference, Galatians 1.5. May his glorious name forever be honored. And that has just been the spirit of the, the day. Um, that was the spirit through worship. I felt that. And uh, I pray, God, that it continues that your name is glorified. Now, we've been doing this series, The Names of God. And I have been so encouraged by hearing people's testimonies on how it's just impacted their life so much. Just learning the character of God and learning who he is in their life and how he's changing them from the inside out. Me as well as we're going through it. And so I'm really excited about it. I have to tell y'all something though. Something pretty funny. In the 1980s, okay. Actually, specifically 1981, Michael Card wrote a song called El Shaddai, okay? No one for that year knew about it until one of the most famous contemporary Christian music artists in the 80s and 90s, Amy Grant, some of you older may know her, redid the song and she sang it. This song became so popular, it, it got into the top 10 uh, of the record list. All younger people, that's, you know, on the radio, the radio record list, top 10. That's a thing in your car that you don't ever use because you have Spotify and Bluetooth. But it's there. So it, it got the top 10. Michael Card won Songwriter of the Year because of it, and the song won Song of the Year. Now, I was not born in 1982. I came along 1985, and then, of course, you don't remember anything the first, like, five years of your life, right? So, in the 90s, I remember growing up and this song still being the jam, all right? This song was so popular that even in 2001, it got named Song of the Century, all right? I mean, it was crazy, all right? But here's the kicker about the song. The first part of the chorus is not in English, okay? And so um, I have always struggled with hearing. Um, when I was younger, I had a lot of ear infections. I had a lot of got the tubes in my ears, and so I've grown up the worst thing to hear a lot of times is, is lyrics in the song. It used to drive my brother crazy because I always sang the wrong lyrics, all right? So this song growing up was a little bit harder for me because it's not in English. It's in Hebrew. And so I would sing it like this. I'd be like, El Shaddai, El Shaddai, Adonai. You know, like that's kind of how I, like, I sang it, right? So, fast forward years down the road, um, we're talking about the names of God, and I'm like, Jason, do you know the song, El Shaddai, by Amy Grant? And he's like, I do know the song, El Shaddai. And so, naturally, because we're in sync and married, we both just started singing it at the same time. We're like, El Shaddai, El Shaddai, and no lie, both of us in unison are like, Adonai, like no joke. I'm like, nobody even knows this song. So we're like, we have to pull it up on Spotify. Like, maybe we can find out what this is. And we pull it up on Spotify, and we're like listening and listening and listening. We're like, we still don't know what it says. Finally, because we live in 2023, I Googled the lyrics, 
And I'm like embarrassed because it's like a name of God that we're going to be preaching on later is like the lyric. <laughs> like it's the lyric. Um, but see, back in the 90s, unless you had the cassette paper and you unfolded it and saw the lyrics in small lines, you, you didn't have the luxury of just Googling the lyrics, right? So all the, all the older people who've lived in the 80s and 90s are like, you're preaching to the choir. So as you can guess it, today I'm doing the name El Shaddai, El Shaddai, yes. So El Shaddai means God Almighty or All-Sufficient One. Okay, it means both of those. And um, I want you to hold on to the all-sufficient one because I'm going to bring that one around at the end. And so God Almighty, the usage of El Shaddai happens about seven times um, in the Old Testament. And so uh, he speaks to Abraham as El Shaddai. He speaks to Isaac as El Shaddai. He speaks to Jacob as El Shaddai. And then good old prophet Ezekiel brings it back up later on, El Shaddai. But what's crazy is in Exodus 6, verse 2, it says this, And God said to Moses, I am Yahweh, the Lord. We talked about Yahweh. Y'all remember that? I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as El Shaddai, God Almighty. But I did not reveal my name Yahweh to them. Is that not so crazy that he's like telling Moses, he's like, I haven't revealed. I mean, the fathers of the faith, I came to them as God Almighty. El Shaddai, all-sufficient one. But I'm coming to you right now with my name, Yahweh. I just think that's so crazy. But anyways, had to put that one in there. That's a freebie. So in order to dive in, El Shaddai, we've got to go back to when he first revealed himself to Abraham as El Shaddai. All right? So Abraham's 99 years old. God gave him the promise of a son. And then in Genesis 17, he comes and This is after the whole Hagar, Ishmael debacle, okay, that has already happened, but Isaac has not been born, he's now going on 100, Sarah's going on a 90, they're old, way past childbearing age, all right, and oh, just remind, like, sorry, a good, good man, Pat Robertson, passed away this week, and my mom was saying he was in his 90s, and I was like, oh, I want to live with his 90s, but then I got like a weird vision of like Pat Robertson having a child at his old age. Sorry, guys. I was like, that would be rough. So this is, this is where Abraham and Sarah are, okay? Sorry for that. To give you a picture, though, if you know who that is. So they're here, and God comes to him, and he says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless decisions. So here the Lord is making a covenant with Abraham. He's making a promise that he would be the father of many nations. But let's look at this covenant that he's making, okay? Uh, the definition of covenant here is a relationship between two partners who make a binding promise to either and work together to reach a common goal. So covenants are two separate entities coming together, both making promises to one another, and then working together to reach those goals and promises. So when Abram, it's kind of like a marriage covenant, right? You stand before, you know, your minister and your witnesses, and you say promises to one another, and then literally you spend the rest of your life trying to reach those promises, right? And so... Abraham, so God is saying, I want to make a covenant with you 
I will make you a father of many nations. You will serve me faithfully and trust in me. So a covenant is two-sided, right? There's always, when you're in covenant with someone, there's always one that has a promise and the other one that has a promise, and then they come together. And so God, notice God said, serve me faithfully and live a blameless life, and I will guarantee to give you countless descendants, right? And so it's just this whole promise that he gave to Abram at the time, and it, it went on to Isaac and Jacob, all right? And so they knew and they understood this two-way covenant that God is now making with Abram. And so uh, Isaac understood this when he was blessing Jacob. I'm going to show you that, and then I'm going to get into some things, and then I'm going to blow your mind, and then your life's going to be changed, and you're going to go home going, that was fantastic. Okay, I'm just kidding. Anyway, so Isaac understood that this two-way thing when he blessed Jacob. And he says this to Jacob. He said, um, so Isaac called for Jacob. He blessed him, and he said, you must not marry any of these Canaanite women. Instead, go at once to Padam Aram and the house of your grandfather Bethuel. And marry one of your uncle Laban's daughters. May God Almighty El Shaddai bless you and give you many children. And may your descendants multiply and become many nations. May God pass on to you and your descendants the blessings he promised to Abraham. Do this being, and God will do this. And you will be in covenant. So here's the key thought for today and where we're going with this. God is a God of covenants and promises. And he desires to be in covenant with his people, even today. So let's, so okay, so that was Old Testament. Let's look at some New Testament promises that God has for his people, right? Let's take salvation, for example. John 3, 16, we all know it. He says, for God expressed his love for the world in this way. He gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not face everlasting destruction, but will have everlasting life. And then in Romans 10, 9, it says, so if you believe deep in your heart that God raised Jesus from the pit of death, and if, you're vo and if you voice your allegiance by confessing the truth that Jesus is Lord, then you will be saved. The promise, everlasting life. The response, confess allegiance. Are you guys seeing the covenant that he's making with his people? Do you see that it's not one-sided, that it's two-sided, that God is coming in with this and our response is this. Let me show another, another one in the New Testament that's very common. We are confident that God is able to orchestrate everything to work toward good, something good and beautiful when we love him and accept his invitation to live according to his plans. So the promise is what? Working good in our lives. The response is love him and live according to his plans. Now, we all want God to work good in our lives. But if we're going to be a part of this promise and this covenant with him, then there's a response that we have to have towards him for that. And is that we love him and that we live according to his purpose and plans for our life. I'm going to do another popular one. The there's literally like 7,000 and something promises in the Bible. So we would be here all day. I'm just going to go through a few popular ones. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 through 14. Any temptation you face will be nothing new. But God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can handle. 
but he always provides a way of escape so that you will be able to endure and keep moving forward. So then run from idolatry in any form. The promise, there's no temptation you can't handle. The promise, he will always make a way of escape. The response, run. Run. You can't go, God, why did I fall? It was too it was too bad. Why did I fall in this? No, I said run. Run. That was supposed to be your part of it. I made the way. Now you got to run. Like covenant. Got it. Let's look at Philippians 4, 6 through 7. This is the last one. And then I'm going to close. This one's really short, but really good. We're going to get crazy at the end. All right. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. It says, don't worry about anything instead of pray about everything. Tell God what you need. And thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So the promise, peace. The promise is peace. The response is that we petition God and thank him for all he's done. See, what I feel like we're dealing with is that Ministers and people who love God and they see the realities of heaven and hell and all this kind of stuff. They just want people so bad to be saved. I'm one of those people. I really do. I just want people to be saved. I just want them to get into the church building. I just want them to hear that God loves them. And I want them to ask God into their life. What this has caused is people who are just one-sided in this relationship. It's all about what God can do for them on their daily basis, but never what they can do for God. That's not covenant. Covenant is not one-sided. I keep like referring it to marriage because when Jesus died, he was, and, and was rose again, he was compared to a bridegroom and we were compared to the bride. And so the marriage covenant is like the new covenant when Jesus saved us. And in a marriage, if it's ever one-sided, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And so God is calling us to be in covenant with him, which is two-sided. It's two partners coming together and making promises to each other and then working together to reach those goals. Sam, you can go ahead and actually come up on the keys if you want to. The crazy thing when when translators are translating scripture is actually really difficult for them because they have to take something that was written in a different language, in a different culture, in a different time. Like there are actual Hebrews that struggle even translating from Hebrew now to ancient Hebrew of the scripture because it's different. And so these translators, they have to go, okay, this is a different language in a different time and a different culture. And then they have to translate these words so that people in a different time and a different language and a different culture can understand what they're saying. And so this can actually get real funny. I don't know if y'all have ever watched The Tonight Show, but Jimmy Fallon has this game where he'll like take a song Google translate it into a different language and then Google translate it back into English and it's not the same, like, at all. 
like at all. Like it's hilarious. And then they have to sing it the way that it was translated back in English. Because sometimes when you translate word for word, not every language has a word for word translation. Sometimes it's like a, a phrase to explain. So this word El Shaddai, when you break it down, El, that's the true God. That's short for Elohim. We went through that Elohim. But when you break down Shaddai, the picture imagery of the language was like two teeth, front teeth is what it looked like. And then it had another symbol that looked like a tent, so it was kind of like dangling. And so you would say like, like dangling teeth, which is weird, right? Okay, so dangling teeth, you guys, this doesn't make sense, all right? Dangling teeth. And then it was put together with a symbol of, let me make sure I'm getting this completely right so I don't want to miss anything. I didn't even write it down. I thought I'd remember it. Okay. Dangling teeth, right? So the teeth were more like, uh, they explained as like a chewing or whatever. And then there was dangling. And then it would be put together with a symbol of, of like an ox, like strength or whatever. And so when the word Shaddai was actually translated, it was translated as mighty teat. Not teeth, teat. And you're like, where are you going with this? Okay, in the English, that would be like breast. All the middle schoolers are snickering and the men just woke up. That's fine. It's good. It's okay. They're like, what did she say? I'm getting some. So a goat, a goat was a very common animal within the herds of the Hebrews. Okay? So the teat is a, is a gland and produces milk. For, that comes from the udder to provide milk to the kid goat, okay? So the milk is extracted when the goat chews and sucks on the udder, on the two deets, teats dangling. The function of the teats is to provide all the necessary nourishment for the kids as they would die without it. So this is where the translation all-sufficient one comes from. Because of that translation is that, I mean, it just, it blows your mind how they have to do that all-sufficient one because without him, he provides everything. He is everything that we need. He is all that we need. But if you've ever been a mom, if you've ever seen a mammal nurse, you know that feeding is two-sided. Because as a mom, you could hold your baby in the right spot and you could be providing everything that they need. But if that baby does not latch on, they will not get the nourishment that they need. And so what God is saying is in covenant with you, I need you to latch on to me so that I then can provide all my riches and glory, all that I have to provide for you. 
But just like a baby, when it pains for, for milk, you could put a pacifier in his mouth. It might gnaw on your, your finger for a little bit. Any of you have ever seen a newborn? It's the cutest thing ever. But that only sustains them for a minute because they realize they're still empty. And we pacify ourselves and we latch on to things in this world that leave us empty and leave us dry. We're malnourished. We, look, we latch on to our relationships. We latch on to our jobs. We latch on to our finances. We latch on to uh, social media. We latch on to the itching ears of what we want to hear. And then we wonder why we're left dry and hungry. But the all-sufficient one says, latch on to me and I will supply all your needs according to my riches and glory. studying scripture you guys will never read that word the same again and I know I'm not ever going to I have to be honest with you guys I studied all this stuff all week long and I got nothing I was sitting at my computer on Friday and going God I have all this knowledge but I don't know what you want to say what do you want to say? All day, yesterday, nothing. I said, Jason, we're at the park. I'm like, I have nothing. Nothing. God's not speaking to me. I don't even know. Because in my mind, I don't want to get up here and tell knowledge. I want to speak what God has to say to his people. And this morning I wake up and he ignites me with the Galatians 1.5. May his glorious name forever be honored. And I prayed and I sat there. And he said, I need the ones in that room to latch on to me. Latch on to me. Be in covenant with me and me only. Let me take care of you let me be there for you and there it is and that was it if you wouldn't mind would you stand to your feet